Hi, this is Greg Voice inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth Podcast number 880 with Dr. Bob Nelson and Mario Tamayo about their new book entitled Work Made Fun Gets Done, Easy Ways to Boost Energy, Morale, and Results. This podcast number 880 is brought to you by April Rennie, author of a new book entitled Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving and Constant Change. In my interview with April, we discuss how humans really struggle with chains, especially chains we did not choose. We resist it, we fear it, and we mistakenly believe we cannot control it. If you personally happen to be struggling with the change in your life, you will want to listen to this informative and inspiring interview about how to shift your personal perspective on how to embrace change. To learn more about April and her new book, please visit her website at www.fluxmindset.com. That's www.fluxmindset.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Dr. Bob Nelson and Mario Tamayo about their new book entitled, Work Made Fun Gets Done. Easy ways to boost energy, morale, and results. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Rancho Bernardo, California, is Dr. Bob Nelson. And Bob and Mario, and Mario, make sure I pronounce your last name right. It's Tamayo. You got it. Mayo. Absolutely. Wow, it's pretty good. We're going to be talking about work made fun gets done, uh, easy ways to boost energy, morale, and results. And, you know, I'm not going to use the pandemic as an excuse, but I will tell you that, you know, this pandemic has created more havoc in the workplace, as you guys know, than anybody. And you're well aware of it because you're out consulting all the time, talking to companies about the issues associated with that. And um, you have some great stories in the book as well, which I love. Uh, But I'm going to tell my listeners just a tad bit about you, about Bob. Bob's PhD, president of Nelson Motivation, Inc., is uh, considered to be the leading authority on employee recognition and engagement worldwide and has worked with 80% of the Fortune 500 companies. Dr. Bob is still practicing and you guys can reach him at his website at drbobnelson.com, or is it just bobnelson.com? Dr. D-R-B-O-B-N-E-L-S-O-N.com. There you go. And we also have Mario Tamayo. Uh, he's a principal with Tamayo Group, Inc., and has more than 30 years of experience in maximizing human performance, working with companies such as Genentech, General Dynamics, uh, J-Connect, Petco. Um, So he also is an expert in this field, and they wrote this book together, and it just came out about how long ago, you guys? I'm trying to remember what Amazon said. Uh, Middle of of May. middle, Middle of summer. So it's a new book for everybody. So, you know, let's just kind of start this off with really a question for both of you. I kind of wanted to get both of you involved in this first one. Everybody would love to have more fun at work. I do consulting as you guys do. So I realize the stresses and the anxiety in the workplace today. 
why did you guys write this book? And why is it more important now, given the pandemic, given the the times that we're in, uh, given all the adjustments that workers are making, working from home, uh, working from various remote locations, and that what they're dealing with to be able to have higher morale and higher ability to uh, perform in the workplace? Either one of you. Yes. Well, this is my 31st book, and some say that every author is writing the same book over and over. And in many ways, this is another cut of the same cloth. I've All my books have been wrapped around principles, uh, proven principles, research-based, that actually work to get a better result from employees, to better attract them, to better hold on to them, uh, but are not widely applied in business. And so I, they're research-based, and this book is research-based. And then within that context of what we know to be true, what does it look like? Uh, it has 100% real-life examples from actual companies that are doing the things that we that we are talking about uh, right now and getting results. So it makes it uh, easier for the the reader to to uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just open the book anywhere, and you can find a usable example. I want to say for my listeners, I've never seen a book with so many examples and tools and techniques. You guys really did an awesome job of that. So congratulations. I mean, you cite the company, you you cite what the people actually are doing. And I think that makes it a very practical book. You know, this is something that anyone can pick up almost anywhere and open the page and get an idea from. You know, one, uh, uh, Greg, one of the reasons we probably the major reason we wrote this book is is back in the 70s uh, as you might have heard your your father tell you that the promise was uh we were probably with technology and 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 all the advances that we were probably going to go to a 3 to a 4 day work week by the year 2000 and that we were going to be all spending 20 to 30 hours at uh you know at work and we're going to be this leisure society well the opposite's happened and we're spending a lot more of our time at work, and a lot of us uh, have not been enjoying it so much. And one of the reasons, another reason we wrote the book is that people are are absolutely craving to enjoy their work since they have to spend so much time at it, and it it has become the competitive edge out there in business today. And so we recognize that, and we've got some data that that's that's in the book that that says that. But the companies that are providing healthy cultures of fun and enjoyment are also the high-performing companies. And the flip side of that is that employees who are having, uh, who, who are high performers are having the most fun. And Fortune came out with a study just recently about that. And it shows that 82% of the companies, the great companies that they identified have great fun working environments, while only 62% of what they categorized as the good companies, only 62% were having fun. And so it, it, it just solidified and really just hammered home the point that we have got to do something where our employees today can enjoy themselves and have a lot more fun. And that, and that uh, variable Mario just mentioned was the biggest differential on those that make the 100 best places to work for in America, fortunes list, and those that don't. So right. if, you, if you want to be an employer of choice that better attracts and retains talent, this is key to make it happen. And Meek Magazine, I think, put it well. They said, 
fun is frivolous, we know, unless you want to attract and keep the best employees. <laughs> well, you know, fun is a word that isn't frequently used in the workplace. So let's first state that. And so you bring something, I'm not going to say new, but you bring something that kind of gets glossed over, I think, by a lot of people. Um, and you mentioned in the book that each year, the Great Places to Work Institute um, asks thousands of employees to rate their experience in the workplace. Um, what are the factors that are rated that make a workplace fun to work in? Because, look, it's one thing to talk about fun. It's another thing to look at the factors that actually, or the culture, I should say, that even creates fun in the workplace. And that's some of the research we, we were just citing from the, the Best Places to Work Institute and, and their creation of the Fortune's 100 Best Places to Work each year. So it's it's really just that that one variable there. Now there's a lot of things. And in the book, we, we have about uh, 15 categories of different ways to have fun. And we have it in four different chunks, what you can do individually in your own job, what you can do as a leader of a group, what the group can do, and then what the organization can do. So that's where we're, the buckets that we, we filled in the real examples that we identified. Uh, you're absolutely right, though. Fun is, is not uh, commonly used at work. There are more and more companies that have fun as one of their core values that, that we we're delayed to find. But um, there's an old, old line belief that, you know, we're paying you to work. Have fun on your own time. Do that on the weekend. And the thing about it is that, that uh, personal lives and work lives have merged. And so I don't know anyone that doesn't do some work emails at night or on the weekend or even on vacation, you know. Uh, and, and likewise, um, if, we're, if we're giving our personal time to, to work, work has got to be, it's a little bit more doable if we can make that, that journey and that time working with others and serving the customer more fun as well. It's only, it's only fair. Yeah, it used to be that, uh, you know, we used to say work hard, play hard. And that was the mantra of a lot of companies. And then when, when people got to work, they realized that the company was serious about the work hard part, but the play hard part was the one that fell by the wayside. And, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting today that the way that people are having fun is they're bringing in new people, new employees who already have that as a, as a core value. And I'm talking about the millennial generation, but 50 to 60% of them are saying, when I go to work, I expect, I demand to have fun at work. And if I don't get it, I'm going to move on to some other place. Right. So it's, it's very compelling. Well, you know, uh, work, when work is fun and pleasurable, productivity goes up. So let's just talk about that. We know that all the studies will indicate you know, greater levels of productivity when people are, are having fun. They also get into flow more frequently. So they're literally, when you're having fun, you have an opportunity to actually kind of get the whirlwind mind gone and really be more creative and more innovative. And, you know, you speak about the philosophies of about the fun workplace, and you talked about the do's and don'ts about mm -hmm. great places to work. What are those do's and don'ts that uh, some of our managers that are listening today online uh, could actually implement? I mean, I'm going to encourage everybody, you know, just go buy the book. We'll have a link to Amazon. You can go to both of their websites. There you go. We've got it up. <laughs> but, but, you know, let's face it, whether they buy the book or not, we want to give them some value. And there are some do's and don'ts that I thought were quite valuable. Mm-hmm. 
Mario. Uh, yeah. Well, number one is you don't make people have fun. So I want to start with that. Um, it's one of the things that'll really kill it. If you, if you try to make somebody have fun at something they don't consider fun, then you can just forget about it. So one of our principles is that to, to remember is that what's fun for some may not be fun for others. And, and we always say, keep that in mind, no matter what you do. And as long as you're asking and you're respecting and you're providing people what they truly feel is fun, then, then you're, you're two steps ahead right there. So Bob, for example, for example, yeah, we, you can't have fun at someone else's expense. That's definitely, it's not, you know, so we don't believe in pranks. Pranks are funny for like two seconds. And then the person you're pranking is now upset. And, and uh, you know, I, I know companies have had like the bonehead award and ha ha, Jerry gets it this week because he made this client mistake. And, and all of a sudden, Jerry say, hey, well, yeah, I had the support to do the job. I wouldn't have had to, you know, and all of a sudden he's defensive. He's upset. Uh, he's thinking about quitting because you guys are jerks. And so it's, it's not worth to go there. There's enough. There's enough things to do where you don't have to do it at someone else's expense. Now, you could do that at your own expense, and that's, that's very powerful for a leader if they make fun of themselves. It makes them more human, and it, it makes it uh, – but, but there's so many, so many ideas. And one of my biggest uh, ahas in doing this whole project and the research that we did for, for years on collecting examples is that everyone's view of fun is different. You know, and so that's why it's it's good to pull people in and, and include their ideas. And it may be different than you were thinking, but enjoy what they, they want to do. And we can all benefit from that. And, and along the way, by involving everyone, then then it makes them more receptive as well. So uh, inclusion. We have a lot, inclusion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, you know, and that leads me to this next question, which, um, you know, Charlie Chase, the uh, president of Genetic uh, Synergy, created this uh, color code. It's colorcode.com. And right. I've never heard of it before, uh-huh. uh, but that's why I'm asking this question, <laughs> because I think that it's really uh, quite interesting. I didn't go to the website and take the, the quiz, but there is a quiz, and then you fall into a color code system. Mm-hmm. If you would, talk about the color code system uh, to our listeners and how the system can help them create more fun in the workplace. Yeah, let me let me address that. Um, for those of you out there who are familiar with Myers Briggs and Insights and Disc, and these are all personality preference uh, models and profiles. And the color code is is very similar in that regard. They have co- the colors blue, green, yellow, and and red. And what that what that's all about is personal preferences, and it helps people to identify what they prefer, what drives them. And it also helps them have a conversation with other people where we can find out the colors of our coworkers, of our managers, of our direct reports. And what's most important is, number one, not to diagnose them and get try and guess what they are, what they would like, but to use that as a start for a conversation to confirm what it is that they value and what they like. And I, you know, some of your folks probably have heard of the platinum rule and, and Bob and I go by that and it's um, doing unto others the way they need to be done unto. And we feel it's even stronger than the golden rule of do unto others the way 
I want to be done unto. Because the focus there for the golden rule is on myself. But what this is all about and having fun at work is how do I set something up so other people value it as fun for themselves? So it's doing unto them the way they want to be done unto. Boy, did you take me back, Mario? That was to <laughs> uh, Dr. Alessandro. Tony uh, Alessandro, uh, Tony, right here. Yeah. In, yes. Right here in La Jolla. Uh-huh. I haven't seen him in a long time, but that whole platinum rule thing, he was all go. over that. That was a yeah. big deal. I was thinking <laughs> to myself, wow, Tony Alessandra. Wow. We're dating ourselves now. Yes, we are dating. We, we are. I'm I'm sure he's still out there, right, Bob? He must be. Yes, yes. Yeah. He was in he was in Vegas. I'm not sure if he's moved uh, back or somewhere else, but yes, he, he had some great, great content and uh I, I remember using some of his training movies, uh, the Pygmalion Effect, I think, was, yes. was one that he, he worked on. It was very good. He also had a, a bunch of assessments as well that he created. Oh, yeah. People. Yeah. Now, so, again, know, the bottom – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, but you, you – you, the bottom line is it puts them in kind of a category so that all the coworkers can determine really what – how everybody works, how they like to have fun. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, one yeah. of our one of our do's is is that you want to when you when you're deciding what to do is ask people, form a committee, a cross section of your organization, get management involved, get an executive sponsor, get the people on the front line, and find out what the different parts of your organization really like. Not just for individuals, but also for the different you know teams and departments and all that. Bob, Volunteers, you yeah, you you can have a. It's not very hard to have a, a fun committee and have volunteers and see what they come up with and and to brainstorm, to prioritize, and support them to try a few things. And maybe if they need some budget, maybe you can you can give them some of that. But a lot a lot of things you could do don't cost any money. They're just they're just fun. I, I was going to say that uh, Mario and I both worked with. Dr. Ken Blanchard for, for uh, quite a while. And one of the, one of the things he, uh, he used to say was that management is what you do with people, not to them. So this is a perfect example of that you want to involve people. You want to use their ideas, maybe rotate the responsibility. Um, when Mario and I worked together there, in fact, and we, we had, uh, staff meetings, one of the things we would do, and we tried different things to keep it fun. You know, you got, if you do the same thing over and over, it's, it's going to be boring, you know? So, uh, we would have, uh, I remember we tried, um, we'd start a, the the meeting with a, a joke that and we'd rotate who would tell the joke. Now some people were were good at that, some people were not. But they had a whole week to practice, and and when they're done, they're going to be a little better doing a joke. So uh, it, it was fun no matter what. What would we you also, guys? What oh. would you guys say about uh, if, if the culture having a permission to have mm-hmm. fun? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. You can go into various cultures and you can see the ones just by the demeanor, how they're a little more lively. And then you yes. go into others and you'll get this heavy air when you walk in. I call it mm-hmm. heavy air. It's almost like yeah. it pulls you down. And Law it's firm. almost like it's, yeah, yeah, it's almost like you don't have permission. What yeah. would, would the two of you say would help uh, management decide that permission is good uh, to allow people to do this, because I think in a lot of places, not even allowed. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. And, and I think, uh, go ahead, Mario. I, I was going to say, you know, I, I remember what you just said about having permission to do it. I remember when I was doing wellness in the workplace in the eighties, right. where we were trying to get organizations to have a healthier workforce. And a lot of the same benefits 
for wellness uh, you, you get and you, and you enjoy from having a fun work environment. Right. And what we'd like to say is we got to take it up a notch, even, even above permission. We want the organization not to give permission, but to encourage and to nurture. And, uh, wrong choice a, of words, but you no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, 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 it's where business is. It's, it's like, well, we allow that to happen here. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to transform it to say, no, no, no. We've really got to embody the spirit of this and we have got to encourage it. We've got to ask people how they're doing with it and this and that. And, you know, one of the things in our book is we talk about how do you get a top management who poo poos the idea? How do you get them and convince them that fun is, is great? And Bob's got some great ideas about this. Yeah. And just to build on the idea you gave, Mario, I remember in talking with you about the wellness programs, like you did it for General Dynamics, that, that part of the success was getting executives involved. So you'd set up a, a yoga class and there'd be some executives that would come to it. So that's, they're walking the talk and that encourages other people. And so that, that's a great, a great strategy. Um, I, I remember uh, working with the California CalPERS, California uh, Retirement System, uh, managing $7 billion in assets for California employee retirements. And they were very, very stiff, very stodgy, you know, uh, money, you know, we're, we're managing finances. We can't be, you know, having fun here. And man, we, we, we worked it and I showed them the data, how their people were, were very stressed and burnt out. Uh, and, and we, we convinced them. Uh, oh, a couple of things. <laughs> One of the challenges they had is they said, um, we we can't we're we're using taxpayer money. We cannot spend money on stuff that's that's yeah, frivolous. Right. And I and I I put together a list. There's about a 12 page list of government agencies, federal, state, and local, what they were doing, their legislative authority, and the results they got. And that went into a board meeting, and they came out and they said, "We're going to do it." So so I loosened up the purse strings, and then we we appealed to top management. And I, you know, you'd think, well, they're never going to go for that. We, we got them to, to create a music video <laughs> and, and they were all on camera. And, and I tell you what, once we broke the ice, they loved it and they were all in a music video and the employees loved it. And all of a sudden by action, not by decree, the, the tone is set. We're loosening it up here. Well, and, and I think it was that's very an, powerful. That's an important point of your book. You know, you guys have included tools, techniques, uh, examples, lots of examples um, that so many co- uh, consultants that you guys talked to had developed uh, and companies that you had you've spoken to uh, to create fun in the workplace. Can you speak about a few of these tools, techniques uh, that would stand out? and are available to the listeners to consider implementing uh, into their workplace. Because you, like I said, when we started this, you opened this book up and I mean, literally from almost page two or three, other than the introduction, you guys are already citing examples and things and tools and things that people have used that have had success. And I think that community of fun that you guys have created is really something that these people that are listening could get involved in. It's almost like, hey, did did Dr. Bob and Mario create this, you know, community of fun? Speak about that if you would, though. Well, it's it's sort of I've and I spent a lot of time studying organizations. I got my master's in organizational design and my uh, my PhD with 
Peter Drucker and and uh, and organizational behavior and human behavior and and so I've kind of come to the conclusion that the way you you get things going in organizations is not by policy, not by a program. If you have a program, it have a start, a middle, and an end, and it, it goes stale. But you you do it by behavior. You get down to the individual focus of control. So we're all about getting into the individual worker and the individual manager and showing them how they can make things happen. So let me let me give you an example. I know Mario's got a lot as well, but one of my favorite, because you can do this in person or you could do it virtually as well on Zoom, is when you get your next time you get your group together, say, hey, let's do let's do something different here to start. As I go around the group, as I call someone's name, I like everyone to say what they most value about working with that person. Let's start with Jerry. Okay, now Mary, 100% positive uh, comments from your peers. That's called a praise barrage. You can do it in five or 10 minutes. And I tell you what, it will lift everyone up. They will feel better about themselves. And whatever was called out that they were good at, Tom Tom always jumps in to help help out. I, I value that so much. He takes initiative. I, thank you, Tom. I, gu- I guarantee you that Tom will do more of that going forward because what gets recognized gets repeated. And so it, it's a great, simple team building. And, and next time you're together in person, you can do the same thing with index cards. Write down a thank you for someone else in our group that you owe. You get four or five thank you cards of things that people value that you've done in your job. You're going to feel better about yourself. And on a practical level, you're going to see what you're most valued for and do more of those things. I got to tell you that uh, that's a great uh, activity, Bob. And I, I must say, and I have to give props to my sister, Elsie Tamayo, because she started that at the County of San Diego in the 1980s. And people, the way it worked was people would, uh, would take strips of paper and they would write something nice fold it up and they'd put it in the middle of the table. And then it was up to the, each person to read out loud what other people said to them. And I got to tell you, this is when the tears started to flow for some people because they were saying, this is the greatest thing. I've never been recognized. Nobody's ever said this stuff about me in my 20 year career. And right away we knew we had something because it, it just connected with people. And that's really what it's about is we're working so hard. We're working so long that we have a tendency to forget about the human spirit at work and what fun at work what wellness at work, what they do is they honor the human spirit at work and they allow the shared experiences and the connections, what's called Ubuntu. Bob, you want to mention anything about that? <laughs> well, it's a, yes, that's Marcin, because he knows I've done a book on that, the South African principle of unity and connectedness. And we, you know, I am what we are as, as a basic concept. So that's a different podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I, I got to tell I, you, I, you know, I go back to the days, Bob, when I would go to San Francisco and go to Spirit in the Workplace Conferences. Right there, you go. And I spent, <laughs> and then as a result of that, I went, I went back to school and got a master's degree in spiritual psychology. Um, oh, oh so, I love it. <laughs> so the reality is, is that what you're speaking about, what we're all talking about here, really, um, when people are allowed to express themselves freely, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and have fun in, in when they're doing it, 
creativity goes up, productivity goes up, morale goes up. Everybody has a lot more fun and they want to be around those people too. They'd like to get a dose of it. You know, it's kind of like, they're oh, eager well, to here, get, they're eager to comes, get into work, get yeah, into the job. You know, you know, here comes Mario and Bob, the, uh, the twins with all this inspiration <laughs> and fun they're going to bring in, you know, well, so only when it comes to hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I love that. Now you guys look, you, Gallup is big. You cited a study, 7,200 plus U.S. adults revealed that one in two had left their jobs to get away from their managers. They hate their yes. managers uh, to well, improve we, their we, overall we go, life at some point in their career. What? We go to work for a great company. We leave because of a bad manager. That's kind of the rule. Right. And, and we've got yeah. some managers that are listening. Okay. Guarantee you there's going to be managers listening. And we're not pointing a finger at you. What I'm trying to get at is what advice do you have for managers to help inspire them to inspire their employees to become more engaged at work? Look, we know the engagement levels at work are extremely low levels. They have been for quite some time. Decades. Um, So if that's the case, that means everybody hates work, but not everybody does hate work. There's a percentage of people that love to work. How do you find the balance and how do you inspire these people? The other thing we're in the middle of is called the the great resignation that uh, we have people (laughs) leaving, quitting their jobs in droves. And there's a lot of debate about why that's happening. But in a nutshell, it's like they've had they've had the whole pandemic to think about, is this really what I want to do with my life? And I I hate my commute. I hate my boss. I hate what I'm doing and and time to make a change. And and they are they are uh, are doing that. And so far, uh, just the last three months, it's been 11 million people in America have quit their jobs because uh, they want to do something new, something different, and whatever. They're, they're very clear they don't want to do what they have been doing. Well, and that, and much and that to the, includes much to the, the, the commute. <laughs> I say much to the chagrin of the managers because now you've got to go replace these people. And many oh, of the yeah, people, yeah. Bob, I need to add this, that are making the decision to do that are really your higher level employees who have an extremely high level of consciousness Mm-hmm. And these are the people that that the organization has relied upon um, to actually help strategize, get things done, move the workforce. And that's a, that's a 11 million people, Bob. That's a lot of displacement of high level management people leaving to go. Uh, out and seek something it, else. It's going to continue as well. Uh, the whole the whole ball of wax, the the commute, the not enjoying their work, the wanting a greater purpose in their life. Yeah. And so if we can't get that at work, where are we going to get it? You know, it's sort of so it's for the of, people. So Mario, for the people that are staying, not leaving. Yes. Yes. What advice do you have for them to inspire this workforce? to have more fun so that we all, the morale does increase. I mean, look, the reason I'm kind of sitting in this uh, little office up here upstairs uh-huh. is because I just came from a consulting gig and I was running like crazy to get here to make this. Uh-huh. But, the, but the reality is, is that, you know, I see it. I was just there. Mm-hmm. I see an owner of a company with 120 employees in the boardroom and his voice, an octave of his voice went up. 15, 20% because of lack of communication. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. say, look, we're falling apart because you guys aren't talking to one another. Yes. Uh, and, you know, what's you, going and, on and here? You hit it on the head. And, and commu- good communication always starts with having a, an authentic respect for, for other people. Mm-hmm. And really, one of the best things a manager can do 
is they've got to realize before they go to work, before they get on the Zoom call, that they have to ask themselves, what are we doing here? What is this company all about? Oh, this company provides this product or service. And who does that? Oh, we have people that do that. And every individual, we're only as good as, as our individuals put together working as a team. And if, if we can start off by asking questions and by finding good things that people are doing and noting and catching people doing things right, that is the first start. So the first thing that we do is we got to recognize the good work that our people are doing now under these conditions that they're under. So recognition. Absolutely. Number one. Number two is their career development is we got to talk to them and find out what is it they really want to do next Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and help them get there. Bob, you were going to add some other things. I was going to say, so in a, in a nutshell, uh, stop telling and start listening, start asking the questions and don't assume you have all the answers. And here's what the problem is. Tony, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. And instead you have, I mean, I I did my doctor work on the, the power of recognition of catching people doing things right. And, and why managers do it or don't do it. And it's, it's been called the greatest management principle on, on earth that you, you get what you reward, what you, what you inspect, what you reinforce, what you catch people doing something right. You will get more of that. You, you, you lead the charge by doing that. You don't, there's so many managers that the way they're trying to lead their people is they're chasing them about, about performance. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. We have a policy about that. The customer complained about this. And the whole thing is 100% negative. That doesn't, that doesn't drive behavior. It drives people away from you. <laughs> they don't want to, they, well, they, they avoid you. They don't want to work for you. And, and then they're, they're miserable. And then they come home and they make their, their family miserable. 15% of <laughs> workers, workers, the average worker spends 15% of their time at home complaining about their boss. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Well, <laughs> you, you both remember this and especially at Drucker's School of Management and what you mm-hmm. did. You know, command and control we know doesn't work anymore, but, yeah. but we do realize it's still happening. But oh, to yeah. make the person aware that that technique is inappropriate, I'm going to actually say inappropriate. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would say, no, it's not. Uh, I'm still going to do command and control because the it's, buck stops with me. I write the checks. It's my money. It's my business. It's, you know, I'm going to run it the way I want. It's and, short-sighted. And is, it, it also is very controlling. It yeah. also, you know, those kind of companies where you could cut through the air are the kind of companies that are run like that. Now, you, Bob, this is a really important one. You stay at over 25 million meetings per day in the U.S. today, and it makes up 15% of an organization's collective time. And that most of these meetings are unproductive. And I paraphrase because the book <laughs> even talks about financially how unproductive they are. What are some of the things organizations can do to make meetings more fun, more productive, and raise the morale. This is a big one because if we're going to have these meetings, why not have good meetings? You know, if if we've got to have them. And then who plans these meetings so that they are spontaneous, fun, good, and people are walking away going, yay! (laughs) Well, first... First, I would I would highly recommend doing away with standing meetings, which is, you know, every Monday or every Friday, we're going to meet for an hour and a half and we're going to talk about how it's going. Don't don't meet just to just to 
do that and waste time and people don't want to go and it's boring. You know, if you have a if you have a party and no one comes, it's really not much of a party. So you gotta start thinking of meeting like that. How can yeah. this be how can this be fun for people so they want to be here? How can we how can we uh, vary it so it's interesting maybe to help them learn new skills? And so that might be having uh, rotating who leads the meeting. So it's not just the manager every time. That would be interesting. Or I remember when Mario and I worked together, we were working in, in developing uh, uh, training materials. And to my chagrin, I felt that the group uh, was kind of uh, a court low in uh, basic grammar and grammar skills. And so I don't know if you remember this, Mario, but I, I did. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> I did. I did grammar quizzes, and they were they were quick, and, and we'd score them together. And and you can't do that and not learn something. And so I kind of, as a fun activity, I rose the the competence level of of everyone that's working on writing and and editing. And and as a group, we got better at it. I I, I know I was good at it. I've taught uh, writing business writing skills for six colleges, so I know I could do it. But I don't want to do everyone's job. I want them to. I want them to be better at doing their job. Now I have so to say that mix, our meetings up the meetings don't have them be regular. I'm trying to paraphrase here. They don't yeah. need to be every Tuesday or every Thursday or whatever. They need to be based on the need that's maybe yes. what's happening, right? In yes. other words, we have a desire to meet, something's going on, we need to talk about it, we need to have a discussion. Uh, then vary up the person that maybe in, is responsible for the meeting. Yes. Only right? invite those people that need to be there. Don't okay. have everyone come if it doesn't involve them, just the, the core people. And that could vary from meeting to meeting. Um, and then, and then, and then vary what you do. Mario and I used to have standing meetings. You want to have a short meeting? Do a standing meeting. All of a sudden, physically standing meeting. Yeah, all of a sudden we're done in 20 minutes, you know, it's like, yeah. or, or we had a fun thing. I know you remember this, Mario, that we, you know, because we, we got pretty excitable and people are very engaged and stuff. And we're talking on top of each other. So I brought in a <laughs> coconut. I said, okay, here's the new rule. You can only speak if you're holding the coconut. So we're passing around the coconut. Hey, let me have the coconut. You know? Flying, it was, throwing it. <laughs> and it was, it was fun. It was silly, but it, it, it served a function as well. So fun is practical as well, well as, it's like, as making it's it. Like you could also do, you know, I go back to the days when uh, we did this at Levi Strauss. Um, we'd hand a, a talking stick. There you go. And we, we would move the talking stick around in the basement there because that's a Native American kind of uh, yeah. tradition. But it but it worked really well because you could only speak if you had that talking stick. Yeah, it kept um, order. And, and it really huh. allowed people to express themselves. I love some of the ideas that you're, that you're giving. Um, now, also, there's, comp- there's a lot of companies that will not meet on Wednesdays. As Bob mentioned, standing meetings, yeah. they will meet as quickly as they can. If you're late to a meeting, people sing. Um, <laughs> or so or pay, a, pay a fee. Or we pay a do fee that. or yeah. you know, put it yeah, in yeah. a little cup. My, yeah. my, all uh, kinds of little things there. My son went to a, a, a boot camp for programming, and I love the fact that and, you know, they have 40 people in the class and, you know, they're all trying to move into a new career. Whoever was late, they started at 830 every morning. Whoever was late, they would stop what they're doing. Everyone would turn to the person. They had to explain why they're disrupting everyone's education. <laughs> it's like no one was ever late. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you, you can't I, I meet in some in some uh, corporations I meet and people are drifting in and out. And I go, how do you guys get any work done here? It's like a mm-hmm. it's like a movable feast. It's sort of like, you know, <laughs> well, I like some of the ideas that both of you gave. And I think, again, for my listeners, uh, we'll put the link to the book. Just go get the book. There's 
hundreds of them in the book. And, you know, yeah. we did touch on this a little bit. And uh, I love, Mario, your story about your sister in the county of San Diego and the recognition. <laughs> but recognition well, I, cite in, huh? yeah, I, guess I cite her in, in the book. I wrote A Thousand Ways to Reward Employees. And Elsie Tamayo, she had a, she had a lot of good uh, suggestions for me. Well, it, was, it, was, it was a whole case know, study. Yeah, yeah, we know that recognition <laughs> is a good thing for productivity in the workplace, but it appears that this happens far less than we might think. And again, you cited that in the book. You said, hey, look, recognition is great, but it's just not happening enough. Mm-hmm. Um, this lack of recognition has massively negative impact on how employees feel about the workplace. And I could concur. Uh, recognition comes in a lot of ways. Time off, free dinner, uh, a salary increase, a bonus, a Whatever. I mean, those are the standard ones. Thank you in the hallway. Yeah. Call out at the beginning of the meeting. What uh, advice would you provide to the managers listening about moving, re- improving the recognition program so their employees can get a job well done? What What I, would you say? Because this is a big one. I'd say start with the behavior in, in your own sphere of influence. Think of um, what you can do as a, as a leader. And so some, some managers will, um, you know, I worked with um, ESPN. A manager said, whenever we start a meeting, we start the same way. We name five things that are going well. And, and usually it's pretty easy, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes things aren't going well. We never skip that step because that's our homeroom. That's our touchstone to allow us to take on the next obstacle or problem. So, again, something positive, uh, calling out when I worked with Bank of America, 210,000 employees, I convinced them that the recognition was so important. It couldn't be arbitrary. It couldn't be if you feel like it, if you happen to get to it, because then it would never happen. So they started a policy that if you meet at the bank, whether it's three people, 300, all meetings will start with some type of recognition. It could be calling out the uh, achievement a department did. It could be someone finished a degree or had a birth in their family. It could be any number of things, but something, something, uh, for the, or, or the, the success of the bank, how things are going. Uh, and, and so you make it part of it. Or, or when I uh, worked with NASA last uh, fall, Johnson Space Center is in Houston, Texas, which is ranked, by the way, and this is no coincidence, number one best place to work in, in federal government. Number one. That doesn't happen by accident. Right. And you could you walk in the building and you feel the energy. You see it on the walls. You hear it in the conversations. Uh, and and I, I, when I attended meetings from managers, I remember one, they said, uh, as per our custom, they say the last 10 minutes of this management meeting – to go around the group and ask everyone to share one thing they've done to recognize someone on their staff since we last have been together. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, you could just feel the energy, uh, the pride rise. And I know something else that people would say, Tom, that's a great idea. I'm going to try it. They learned from each other. They got, they got, became a self-learning organization, uh, each trying things and then sharing with others what's working and, and learning from each other. That's how you, you, you make it to the top and be a culture that everyone wants to be at. And, and on and on. I, I've, I've got, I wouldn't have done a, a thousand one rewards, which is his 47th printing is now 1501 ways to reward employees. So it's, it's all, it's all the time if you open your eyes to it. I you think know, one of the things that sincerity, I just want to add is, um, you know, you don't want to just do recognition to do recognition. It needs to come it from really the heart needs to be a sincerity and it needs to be from the heart. Um, Absolutely. And and I'm not talking about a bonus or a paycheck, but also, Mario, 
Mm-hmm. You know, in these times of the pandemic, we saw many companies, small, big, you know, let's, let's cite it. Uh, AMC virtually went out of business. Zoom mm-hmm. went through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Moderna went through the ceiling. But many companies, very large, were struggling financially and under tremendous pressures. Um, mm-hmm. Yet we saw some many rise to the top as well. Mm-hmm. The, the question I might be is under financial constraints like this and pressure, the, it seems to be that the culture changes drastically. And to have all of these things happen and you say have fun in a workplace when there is so much financial stress mm-hmm. becomes a challenge. What would you say to a founder out there of a company who maybe is experiencing something like that right now as a result of just the economics the kind of business they're in. Uh, mm-hmm. God, you certainly wouldn't want to be in the theater business right now. You might not even want to own shopping centers right now. Right. Um, considering, you know, just what's been going on with the pandemic, not as bad, but the reality is there's still fallout. Uh, mm-hmm. Any thoughts yeah. about that? Yes. I've got a lot of thoughts about that because, you know, what, what you just described is someone that they're, they're starting to panic because they're not getting results. So they push harder. And they make right. more commands and they, you, right. you must do this. You must do this. And, and people say, guess what? I'm not doing it anymore. I quit. <laughs> you know? And so you can't force, you can't force performance from anyone. You know, if someone, if someone puts a gun to your head, you could do whatever they say, but that's not the situation. People have in America today, they've got more freedom than ever before to leave and go find another job. We're in an, we're in an employee's market right now. It's very hot and it will continue. 975,000 uh, last month jobs created so our jobs are way up each month created not filled not filled (laughs) because because and it's not just because of the the pay it's because of the environment and whatnot so just to give you an example um example from uh the the great recession 2009 uh, there are two companies competed head-to-head best buy and circuit city you remember Circuit City? They're not around anymore because right. when they when they both were hit with the recession, they had they had two different approaches. Circuit City said, "Well, people are our, people are our biggest expense, as is the case in most companies. Ninety percent of the pay and benefits goes to employees. People are our biggest expense. We got to cut people." And cut they did. They, they laid off 9,000 people, a whole strata across the country. Uh, and wow, that month their financials looked good, but by next month they started to tank because they threw out all their experience. And, and, uh, I, I actually, true story, I remember being in a circuit city and, uh, somebody was, they, I don't know if maybe it's how I look, but someone said, Hey, can you help me? I'm looking for a car stereo. I go, man, let's go, let's go look at the car stereos. And someone else did it. <laughs> do, you, ah, do you work here? Well, I can help you. And, I, yeah. and the store manager comes over and offers me a job. I go, thanks, I got a job. But you got to think about training the people you got here because yeah. you're not serving the customer. Too late. Yeah. They're out of business. They had to close down. Now, you take Best, Best Buy, same company, same, same products, the same time. They were hammered by the recession. Yeah. But instead of saying people are our biggest expense – they said, they said, people are our biggest investment. Mm-hmm. We need to get more out of them. We need to get it now. So they started for the first time. Maybe they could have done it earlier, but they, the recession prompted them to set up an online suggestion program to ask people, how can we save money? How can we better serve customers? And within three weeks, they got 900 suggestions. And even if they didn't implement all of them, they implemented enough of them. And just by doing that, it showed people that, wow, they like my, my idea. I got another one 
for you. And it yeah. turned the whole thing and they got a better, uh, people rose to the occasion to help the company through a tougher time. They, they blew it out of the water. They're still doing well. They, they took over the market that uh, Circuit City had and they're still, uh, I think, a very exceptional company. So that's, that's what I see in companies. You could, you could say so it's the, a problem or you could, you could see it's, a, it's an opportunity. So the, so bo- the bottom line, the bottom line here is, is that when we're faced with a challenge is, and you mentioned it before, Greg, is we've got to communicate with each other immediately, early and often. And we've got to take the, the philosophy of we're all in this together. So let, let us solve this together. And that's really what, what Bob's getting at here. You are our most valuable asset here. We're going to give you something, you know, we're going to provide you with something that's low, low or no cost right now to just catch your breath. Let's have a little fun here. Let's remember why we're all here and let's talk about what we all need to do together as a team to get out of this or get and through this. Even, and even say that verbatim to say, yes. this is why we're doing it because we do value you. And then, and then uh, that will give you the financial stability to be able to do things for employees. You take Southwest Airlines, you know, the, uh, they're known for the culture of having fun and whatnot. People well, don't realize they're also a highly, they've been profitable 30 years in a row. Yeah. And as a result, they're able to pay their people better and have better benefits than other airlines because they're financially successful. So, and did you so, know during the pandemic, they were the only one that didn't take government money? There you go. God bless. Oh, them. I didn't. I didn't know that. They, I did they not, did know not that. take any government money. Delta, United, all the others took government money. They did not take any government money. Okay, I admit it. I took. Proud, I took government money. Yeah, they were proud, <laughs> to, proud to say that. Now, look, in wrapping the interview up, because look, you guys gave a lot of, of ideas, tools, and it's one thing to listen to a podcast, and it's another thing to actually implement uh, what's been talked about. And um, as people. Uh, listen to these podcasts, they look for the takeaways. And I always ask the authors toward the end, you know, what are the takeaways? If there were three things that each of you would recommend to help improve morale, bring more fun and improve productivity, because every employer listening, if they're an upper management is saying, hey, I need to tick up my numbers with improved productivity at the same time, while creating this culture where people can express themselves, have fun, and whatever. What are the three things? Let's start with you, Mario, because uh, you've been sitting there patiently. <laughs> oh, I don't know about patience. You know, again, communication's huge. So the first thing I would do is I I would have a one on one with all my people, and I would I would ask them. I would actually ask them. You you bring the agenda here. Um, my purpose for doing this is I just want to find out how things are going for you. Good idea. Great idea. So that's one. Bob, what do you what do you have? To well, I, I just build on that because in many ways, all any of us have to work with our conversations. So a one on one, but you can have that as a group as well. And I would say whatever goal is, instead of feeling like you've got all the answers as a manager and you've got to make the right decision for us to be successful, I'd lay that out and say, hey, here's here's the objective we have. Who, who, what do you think we can do to reach there? Because they know their jobs better than you do. They're doing them. Even if you used to do their job, it's changed since you did it. So get closer to the, 
the action of the interaction with the, the customers or, or what they're seeing, uh, you know, when they, when they try to sell the customer or, or the problems that are coming in on a customer service line. And, and maybe you should be listening on those as well, but, but get to, to their strength. And I had, uh, I worked with a company in, uh, in Norf- Norfolk, uh, Connecticut, uh, Boardroom Inc. They did a thing called iPower, where they asked every employee to turn in two ideas for how we can improve things around here, save money, better serve the customer every week, each week, two ideas from every employee each week. And, and uh, you know, they got that going and suddenly they were getting thousands of ideas uh, and, and they, were, they couldn't implement all of them, but they implemented a lot of them. And as a result, they increased their revenues fivefold in a three-year period just by asking people for their own suggestions for how we can improve. A good things. old suggestion box works. Yeah, again. <laughs> but it's not just it's not just a suggestion box because that's in the in the lunchroom with the lock on it. No one ever opens. This is actually asking people, and then they had other other employees, volunteers, review the ideas, and they said we want to encourage these ideas. So most of them, they said that's a great idea. You should really do it, and they gave it back to the person. Let's know how we can support you with your idea. Yeah. So they, they it wasn't. Just, just a rubber stamp. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. It's get to them. You know, Mario's got something he wants to say. I want to say the third thing here is <laughs> here we go. What, what Richard Branson does, and, and a lot of other execs do this as well with large organizations. They will actually sit down on a Sunday and they will write out on a hand by hand a card. They'll they'll write out a card about what they're thankful for for each of their. Uh, people that that they work with directly. R- Branson will even go visit different sites. And if he can't meet everybody there when he goes to visit, he will write them a card that I'm sorry I missed you. But let me tell you what I uh, what I love about what you're doing. And again, I think that is just so motivating. As long as it's genuine and it's authentic, it and it doesn't cost anything other than somebody's time. Well, what attitude I love, of gratitude. What I love about uh, Bob and Mario is you're creating awareness. You know, this is, yep, I'm going to tell all my listeners, you know, go to the <laughs> link that we're going to have at the website, buy the book. And it's not because it's lining their pockets with gold because it's really not. What you will want to do, though, is check out their websites, because if you're in need of uh, finding a consultant to help you bridge this, uh, these two gentlemen would be it. And they both have the expertise, but certainly get the book. There's plenty of ideas in this book that you can implement yourself. I want it's to thank paperback. you. Paperback. It's it's very it's inexpensive. Amazing. It's a very cooler <laughs> book. Great company. Um, we will have links to both of your websites. We'll have links to this. Uh, thank you both for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending Namaste to you, Mario. Appreciate it. Uh, you guys um, spending some time with my dedicated listeners uh, we'll make sure that everybody gets this and gets it out. And I hope that if you're still listening right now, after 50 minutes of this call, uh, that you will take time to go check out the book, their websites. Thank you so much, you guys. Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Love to come back anytime. We'll have you back for certain. This podcast, number 880, has been brought to you by Marcus Barr, the founder and managing director of Goalscape. 
I personally have been using Goalscape and I'm a fan of their software for many years. I know the founder, Marcus, and the story behind the development of the software, and in this podcast, you'll learn some of the history of Goalscape and, more importantly, the huge benefits you can achieve by using a visual goal-setting platform. If you want to learn more about Marcus and Goalscape software, please visit his website at www.goalscape.com. That's www.goalscape.com. Tune in for more great podcasts from Inside Personal Growth. Thanks for listening.